Greetings, greetings, once again, to all my enemies and all my friends. It's the Weekly Worldview. That's right. I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Welcome back. It's the show where we don't take calls, we don't tolerate sponsors, but we do help focus you on the events of the week through the lens of original thought, and we focus you on events that you might not get focused on with other shows, and we'll cover some of that because I, I found out something a little weird about conservative media. It's not that I found it out. It's that I just put a few things together that I hadn't put together before, and I want to put it out there and and see what you think about it, just in case I'm just maybe insane. It could be that I'm insane. It could be that uh, I'm insightful. I don't know yet. I'll hope to hear from you about it. But let's start with what I got from my average morons feed in my Yahoo email from getpocket.com, which I have no idea what getpocket.com is, but I think it's how the uh, uh, the powers that be filter, select, and put information in front of the relatively illiterate masses who get their feed, they get their news through their Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Yahoo, Google feeds, all of that. That's the average relatively illiterate moron, which is the, which is unfortunately the majority at this point after, after uh, well over a century of leftist uh, government education imposed upon the masses. And, and so, uh, so I got this story. They quote Scientific American an author named John Horgan, who I don't know John Horgan, but I know he's associated with Scientific American because the leftist infiltrators at GetPocket.com made sure that the byline associated John Horgan with Scientific American, which means he's an American, but more than that, he's scientific, which means pretty much whatever he says, if you question it, then you're weird because he's scientific and we know that science is the ultimate store of truth. And it is the ultimate, it is, well, it's God. Science is God, pretty much. Because, of course, according to the powers that be, that select, filter, and direct media into the feeds of the relatively illiterate masses, God is dead. And God has been replaced by Science and by Scientific Americans like, well, Scientific American Magazine and folks like John Horgan who wrote this article. How do I know? This is the headline. How do I know I'm not the only conscious being in the universe? That's the headline. Uh-huh. And then uh, Mr. Horgan says philosophers call it the problem of other minds. He calls it solipsism. And he says that it's a form of skepticism that is utterly illogical and irrefutable at the same time. 
It's utterly illogical and irrefutable at the same time, says this scientific American, John Horgan. Basically, the uh, solipsism, did I get enough S's in there? Solipsism holds that you are the only conscious being in existence and that the cosmos and that the cosmos sprang into existence when you became sentient and it will vanish when you die. How could you possibly pursue uh, uh, perceive this to be true? Because says scientific American John Horgan you can only infer the existence of other minds. Other people seem to possess consciousness, but you cannot be certain that they actually do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, so when the average relatively illiterate moron, product of the government education, reads this type of thing, they think this guy is deep. I think, I mean, I hope not, but based on my interactions with other people over the past 40 years or so, I think they think this guy is deep. He goes on to say, natural selection instilled in us the capacity for intuiting others' emotions and intentions, but we have a counter tendency to deceive one another and to fear if we are being deceived. The ultimate deception, says Scientific American John Horgan, the ultimate deception would be pretending you are conscious when you're not. Okay, so pretending you are conscious when you're not, how could, how could that be? How could one pretend they are conscious when they are not because they wouldn't be conscious? I mean, can we stop right there? No, we don't stop right there. The article continues. Uh, Scientific American John Horgan says, Religion is one response to this potential deception. Our ancestors dreamed up a supernatural entity who bears witness to everything. And then uh, he says, well, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to think that was true? That supernatural entity who witnesses all. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be nice? And so I would just say to John Horgan, Scientific American, no, it would not be nice, not for you. I mean, if there is a supernatural entity who bears witness to everything, then he read this article and he knows that you published it as if you were serious, and that does not bode well for you. So no, it would not be nice to think that there is a God. Mr. John Horgan, not for you anyway, not at this point in your career. Well, the article goes on, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go on with it because I pre pretty much lost me at pretending to be conscious when you are not. That's where, yeah, this is, this comes to us from the professing to be wise file and it's, it's the file has a two part name, but I'm going to leave the second part for you to figure out. Uh, doctor, uh, Scientific American, a doctor? I don't know if he's a doctor. I don't know if he's ever set a broken bone or anything like that, but uh, he is a Scientific American, there's no doubt about that. And he 
he got published asking the question, is it possible that I'm the only conscious person in the universe? And then other people published that article because they assume that they might be conscious, but they're not sure now because they read his article. But if you... <laughs> But if you're listening to the Weekly Worldview, you know that you are conscious. You're sentient. This is all real. That's right. Um, and now, so we've got some more philosophy. I've, 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 got a, I've got a bent for philosophy. I'll get into why here in a little bit. But as of late, mostly I started a Bible study in the book of Job. That will be airing uh, live stream this Wednesday 9 p.m. Eastern Time, if you want to catch the live stream. And then we post it up at theweeklyworldview.com as a video link to Rumble. So you start reading Job, and you don't even get through the first, I don't know, like 11 words, and you're already into this deep philosophical analysis of life, the universe, and everything. Within the first 15 words of the book of Job, so, so I got that going for me, right? That's, that's in the back of my mind, trying to get through uh, a Bible study on Job, which is very deep. Uh, but I have another story from the Professing to be Wise file, and this is from a philosophy professor. Now, that's someone who professes to love sophistry, I, philosophy. Philo, Philo, someone who professes to love sophistry. And if I'm not mistaken, sophistry is the act of pretending to be intelligent or pretending to be interesting or the act of pretending to know something. I have to look that up, what sophistry means. But I think it has something to do with faking something. So... To be a philosophy professor, okay, philosoph is, is uh, knowledge, so the lover of knowledge. So she professes, I shouldn't say she, I don't know if it's a she. <laughs> well, let's read the article. This was published the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th, where the author writes, People born in the future stand to inherit a planet in the midst of a global ecological crisis. All right, there's no way this is a guy. This is definitely written by a, by a girl. Well, I'm just going to guess that. I, di I didn't copy the author's name, so I don't know. But the, the headline is, Philosophy Professor, colon, Is it reasonable to bring children into today's world? Hmm. So who asked, how, how many men asked that question? I'll answer, none. Women asked that question. Men only answer that question if they're asked that question by a, whim, uh, by a woman. Because who's thinking about having children? Is it men? No, it's women. Even though the professional, assertive, aggressive, powerful woman will never admit it, the one thing that's on her mind is having children. All right, so I, have, I don't know the author of the article. I didn't even get the website from which I got this because, well, I don't know why. But I'm going to guess this is written by a girl. And she says, uh, people born in the future stand to inherit a planet in the midst of a global ecological crisis. Natural habitats are being decimated. The world is growing hotter. And scientists fear we're experiencing the sixth mass extinction event in Earth's history. <laughs> Under such circumstances, 
Is it reasonable to bring a child into the world? Unquote. That's the uh, philosophy professor uh, whose name I didn't catch. Uh, but she goes on to write, My philosophical research deals with environmental and procreative ethics. Mm. That's the ethics of choosing how many children to have or whether to have them at all. And then she goes on, she says, let's start by thinking about why it might be wrong to have a large family. And then she goes on and on and on and on and on for about five paragraphs with things like, uh, many people who care try to reduce their impact on the environment by recycling, for example. <laughs> But to create another person who will most likely adopt a similar lifestyle to your own vastly outweighs the impact of activities like recycling, for example. <laughs> and, then, and then more and more and more and more on... Um, well, here, let's just go. Moral... There are moral differences between emissions... Emissions... Emissions tied to crucial interests and other emissions tied to convenience and luxury. Reproduction occupies a messy conceptual space between these two activities. <laughs> Necessity and luxury. For most people, most, for most people today, having their own biological children is not essential to health or survival. It's luxury. It's a luxury. It's a convenience. It's not crucial. And the whole time you're doing it, the whole time you're doing it, you're emitting. You're just emitting and emitting and emitting. And you know what that means? Emissions. You're just an emitter is what you are. And then she goes on for 12 or 14 and a half more paragraphs. And even though she started out with, let's start by thinking about why it might be wrong to have a large family, she never says, let's finish by maybe looking at why it might be okay. She never gets to that. She just hyperventilates and goes hysterical for a couple of pages about how she's not going to have any kids because it's just, well, it, it's, it's not reasonable. In fact, it's not ethical. In fact, it's immoral. In fact, if she were able to comprehend that anything could be evil, this would be it, having children. Having your own biological children is evil. Um, if she were willing to call anything evil, which she's not willing to do, which is why she's hysterical. Which is why she's published. Is because she's hysterical. And for whatever reason, the powers that be find it quite useful to publish the hysterical. It's the Weekly Worldview, and I'm Doug McBurney. I am your host, and yeah, speaking of hysterical on all of that, yes, that song is how a whole new generation of English speakers became aware of the concept of hysteria, just from that right there. 
And so, if, and if you're not familiar with the definition of hysteria, you should go and look it up. Because, well, it'll just enlighten you, that's all. Um, so, in fact, let's go from the hysterical to the not hysterical. This is from the Profiles in Courage file. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is from the 6th of February, 2024. Elaine Avery was pregnant with a mono, uh, let's see if I can get this right, monochorionic diamniotic identical twins. She was pregnant with monochorionic diamniotic identical twins. It's, it's a very scary, dangerous uh, pregnancy fraught with peril for the mother and the children. It's when two Identical twins share the same placenta. So she was pregnant with these two unborn baby girls. She found out they were girls. She gave them names. The doctors told her they're probably going to die. You could die. This is all very dangerous. One of the children named Aurelia died from complications from sharing the same placenta with her sister Aurora. Then the doctors told Elaine... They advised her to terminate the pregnancy, which meant to kill Aurora, too, because, well, because Aurora might die. So the baby might die, so the doctor suggested she kill the baby. <laughs> well, there was also the caveat that carrying the surviving child to term also put the life of the mother in some risk. And certainly risk to her future potential to procreate. So there were risks in carrying the child to term, so the doctor suggested she kill the baby. She said, but I didn't. I went ahead and decided to carry her through to full term. Well, that didn't happen because the baby was born two weeks later via emergency C-section at a mere 24 weeks gestation. And the baby survived. Aurora survived. She survived to this day. And the mother says she's glad that she didn't kill her baby. Uh, of course. So this is the Profiles in Courage file. Now, in most news articles that you read about a high-risk pregnancy, the news media apparatchiks are praising the woman for killing the baby because she asserted her uh, her right to autonomy to physical autonomy and, she, and her rights over her own body she asserted those so she's some kind of hero because she asserted her rights well here we have a mother who didn't assert her right in fact she took a risk of to her own health and her own life for the sake of another human being. And that, my friends, is heroic. When they tell you, if you help this other person, you might die, and then you do it anyway, that's heroic. Cutting off the life of another human being because it threatens your comfort or your health or your life, that's not heroic. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that any of us are obligated to be heroic. No, none of us are obligated to be heroic. That's why they're called heroes because most people can't do that. But I'm telling you, there was a time 
when most women would have done what this woman did without even thinking it was heroic. But now, but now here's where we are now. In the, this happened in the United Kingdom, the formerly Great Britain. As of February, as of Valentine's Day 2024, in, in England, about 25% of conceptions end in abortion. So about a quarter of British women kill their child. A quarter? That's kind of shocking to me. Oh, that's as of 2019. That's the last uh, year that we have reliable data. So anyway, so uh, let's see. What, what do I want to get to here? Um, okay, so I just want to ask a question because I don't know how many people even listen to Michael Savage anymore. I don't listen to him very often, but I, I had an opportunity because I was riding on a plane and I happened to be able to download his podcast and I listened. So I just want to ask the question. Did anyone else notice how Dan Bongino responded to Michael Savage pointing out that the talk show host, America's two most popular Rush Limbaugh replacement talk show hosts, one is a Secret Service agent and the other is a CIA agent. <laughs> anyway, so Michael Savage points this out because I, he's, he's like that. And Dan Bongino went absolutely ballistic and got really angry and vulgar, really vulgar. Cursing Michael Savage as if he were the devil himself right there on X. But just dropping uh, profanities. So anyway, why why would but Dan Bongino has, uh, I think, the second most popular uh, syndicated, allegedly conservative talk show host in the country? Why would he care what Michael Savage... Michael Savage is a doddering old man doing a podcast out of his basement at this point. Why would it bother Dan Bongino what Michael Savage thinks about him? By the way, if you didn't catch it, Michael Savage said, Hey, uh, conservatives, did you notice that your your three most popular talk show hosts are uh, a CIA agent, <laughs> a Secret Service agent, and a dumb jock? Well, and a lot of conservatives were offended by that. Mostly it was Dan Bongino. Um, upset that Michael Savage pointed out that he was a, a Secret Service agent and that Buck Sexton is a CIA agent and that the other guy with Buck Sexton, whose name escapes me, is just some dumb jock who they got two guys with half the brains of Rush Limbaugh and together they still don't equal a quarter of the talent of Rush Limbaugh to replace Rush Limbaugh. And it's fairly embarrassing at this point, but... It's a big money thing, and these guys are all famous and globally all this, and so why would they care what Michael Savage thinks about them? Anyway, it's when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs that one that yelped is the one you hit. Anyways. Um, anyway, I have something from the dumb jock uh, somewhere here in my... Uh, was there anything else I was going to say about that? Oh, yeah, the media, the, the media cover story of the week. Did you guys catch the media cover story of the week? This is something I just put together that I've been noticing for a long time, but I don't think I've ever verbalized it. It seems now that pretty much every week there is a conservative media cover story. 
That's right. It's the political story that occupies the most airtime in so-called conservative media. Conservative media is the space that, that Rush Limbaugh started back in 1988. And then, and then uh, over the course of a decade or so, he had a few guest hosts. And somebody realized that they could turn this into an industry and just churn out imitations of Rush Limbaugh left and right until they filled an entire day. An entire broadcast day of people basically repeating what Rush Limbaugh said. And that has become an industry. Should I should have seen it for what it was with Sean Hannity, because Sean Hannity started by coming on right after Rush and then saying exactly what Rush had said for another three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, well, how can this be? And then someone realized, I think we could churn this out for like 18 hours a day and people would listen. It turns out they were right. And so you wonder, anyway, I'm not really conspiratorially minded. I mean, a little more than I used to be, but I'm not really that much. But uh, it just makes you wonder, how is it that all, how is it that we've gotten here from wherever we were? Because now we have... An 18-hour broadcast day of of uh, Rush Limbaugh knockoffs. Uh, everyone from Sean Hannity to Jan, Dan Bongino to Buck Sexton to uh, the the Mormon guy, the the chubby Mormon guy with the weird glasses and uh, and with the with the other the sidekicks who now do a show and Glenn Beck and then uh, and then who else? I mean, just didn't name the list. The girl with the fake teeth who ended up on Fox News with the fake lips and the fake, with the cross, always always with the visible cross hanging around her neck. I forget her name. Laura Ingram. You name it. Laura Ingram started as a guest host for Rush Limbaugh. I remembered I heard it, and I remember thinking, I cannot stand this woman's voice on the radio. There's no way she will ever make it in radio. And she was barely hanging on in radio when Fox News rescued her. Gave her, a, a, I don't know, some plastic surgery, some injectables, and, and gave her a TV show, and the rest is history. So where, how did I get off on all this? Oh, the media cover story of the week. Have you heard it? Of course you heard it. If you listen to, uh, and, and by the way, it's, it's endemic. Even the alternative extreme right-wing news sources that I look in on, uh, all follow the script for the conservative cover story, the media cover story of the week. And this past week, it was the testimony of Fannie Willis. You remember, it's Fannie Willis is the quota hire who was basically hired to prosecute Donald Trump, I think, in Georgia. And, and I think it's a criminal case. I forget. There's so many cases who can keep track. But Fannie Willis, it turns out, she was sleeping with some guy that she hired and she was married and it was just... I mean, 30 years ago, it would have ended her career and she might have gone to jail. But circa 2024, it's the conservative media cover story of the week. And it was all about Fannie Willis and her boyfriend. And by the way, the conservative media story of the week is designed to distract conservatives from the takeover of civilization by the criminally insane sex cult that is plotting our murder-suicide. 
it's and not to put too fine a point on it, I told you I'm not really conspiratorially minded, but I am convinced that a criminally insane sex cult has seized civilization and is actively plotting the greatest murder suicide in all of history. And so every week there's a story in the conservative media to distract us from that. So that when the murder suicide occurs, we won't be paying attention. Anyway, uh, so this past week it was Fanny Willis. Who, by the way, Fannie Willis will not be disqualified over her perjury, over her theft, over her relative illiteracy and, and inability to even properly use the English language, let alone her, her, her confessed adultery that she confessed to. None of that. She won't, be, uh, she won't be disqualified. She'll continue and Trump will be found guilty. And then that will spawn another media cover story of the week in the so-called conservative media as they fume over the fact that Fannie Willis wasn't dis disqualified and now she's gone and she's convicted Trump and they'll talk about that for another week. They'll kick it around all the, C the Secret Service agents, the CIA agents and the big dumb jocks and the other hacks. They'll all kick that around the so-called conservative media while the powers that be continue to plot their big murder-suicide. I'm your host, Doug McBurney. So it doesn't matter how loose Fanny got with uh, anything. She's just a hack plugged into the latest cover story from the, from the powers that be. And So anyway, I'm reading Paul Goslin's Flight from the Absolute. I tried to look up Paul's credentials. I could not figure out who he is, but uh, the book is good. It's called Flight from the Absolute. I'm reading Volume 1, Flight from the Absolute, which is a deep dive into uh, postmodernism, basically, um, and how, how it took over civilization and has become the dominant religion in the Western world. And and so, it, but by the way, if you've never if you've never been to college or if you've never taken philosophy courses in college, I would recommend that you read this book and just look up the things you don't understand, and then you won't need to go to college and you won't need to take philosophy courses because 
They're all in Volume 1. And there's a Volume 2, by the way, which is thicker than Volume 1, which is sitting next to my nightstand. It's kind of intimidating. <laughs> so, uh, But I'm reading the book, and... It, it, like I say, it's it's uh, he basically puts together how it is postmodernism became the dominant religion and how it now drowns out and uh, not just drowns out, but censors all opposing viewpoints without having to be overtly censorial. So it's not like they have to even try to censor. It's not like they even have to try to manipulate. They don't even have to conspire because they're all members of the same religion. So it's an accidental conspiracy that formed the criminally insane sex cult that sees civilization and is plotting our murder-suicide. Well, Paul's book describes how that cult formed and found its stride in order to eventually overtly seize civilization. They've been covertly directing culture for the better part of the past century. But how they found their stride to ultimately seize civilization here just in the past five years or so. And, and and I think the book was written somewhere around 2005-ish, so. But anyway, I highly recommend it. It's called Flight from the Absolute, Volume 1 by Paul Gosselin, who is a Quebecer. Quebecer? I don't know how you say it. I don't speak French. I think Paul's uh, uh, first language is French, so. Uh, but a very interesting perspective that has me waxing philosophical as of late. Um, and so now I said, I mentioned the big dumb jock that replaced Rush Limbaugh, who's got his jock website that appeals to other relatively illiterate jocks. Listen to this. This is from the big dumb file. <laughs> and almost everything in the big dumb file we download from outkick.com, which is the big dumb jocks website. Uh, Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner joined OutKick's Riley Gaines on the latest episode of Riley's Gaines for Girls podcast. So let's just stop right there and realize that OutKick gave Riley Gaines a podcast, Gaines for Girls, where Riley Gaines is the swimmer who said, you know what, I don't want to compete against that guy. And now everyone thinks Riley Gaines is a genius and a hero, whereas... Not too long ago, everyone would have just said, uh-huh, <laughs> duh. But now she's some kind of hero. Because, well, and I guess she is some kind of hero. Maybe. Why? Huh? I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, she doesn't strike me as, well, anyway, I wouldn't necessarily put her on the air. Let me just put it that way. Not that I have anything against her. I certainly wouldn't want to race her in a swimming competition. She would probably destroy me. So I wouldn't swim against her. I don't think she should be on the air. And, and so I, I suspected that just based on how she performed in interviews. But now she's confirmed that she, couldn't, she shouldn't be on the air. Because number one, she's taken a gig with OutKick, which is embarrassing. And she interviewed Bruce Jenner and called him Caitlin the whole time. She had him on the air 
She was on the air with Bruce Jenner dressed as a woman, and he was insisting that Riley Gaines call him Caitlyn, and apparently Gaines did it. <laughs> now, now, I will admit, I neither watched nor listened to Riley Gaines' Gaines for Girls podcast with Bruce Jenner. So I can't confirm that Bruce dressed as a woman and insisted Riley call him Caitlin and that she actually went through with it. But it seems from this report that she did. Uh, Outkick reports um, the two discussed a wide range of topics. (laughs) Um, All of them. All of the topics referencing Jenner being dressed as a woman. Why? Because, you know, it's Bruce Jenner dressed as a woman. You can't avoid that subject. You can't talk about any other subject. Not, you can't talk about anything else without being within the context of, hey, Bruce Jenner's there. He's dressed like a woman. Hey, wait, he because- at the time? As a woman, he would want everything. That's right. If he would have dressed as a woman in 76, <laughs> he would have dominated the whole the entire world. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so anyway, they, they talked about a wide range of topics. <laughs> um, or at least they acted like they were talking about a wide range of topics. But the main topic was, check that out. This Bruce Jenner is dressed as a woman. That was the main topic. Um, uh, the wide range of topics included Jenner's being transgender. (laughs) Oh, really? That came up? (laughs) Why did that come up? Was it because he was wearing a dress? (laughs) For crying out loud, it's just insane. The whole world's gone insane. Uh, oh, uh, other uh, wide-ranging topics. (laughs) Uh, how Jenner was used by the media and those looking to further left-wing ideologies by using the fact that Bruce Jenner was dressing like a woman in public. The left took advantage of that, and Bruce felt bad about that. So how dare the left take advantage of the fact that Bruce Jenner is dressing like a woman in public? That's Who would have ever saw that coming? All right. But uh, anyway, the big dumb jock and the outkick group there they gave uh, Riley a, a podcast and insisted that she interview a tranny freak, a psychologically unstable, demented person. And Riley did it. <clears throat> and I guess that's all that's to be said about that. Meanwhile, let's come back from Riley Gaines because, I mean, that's just sad to see that. But let's go to something we can all comprehend from the crazed new world file, Fran Itkoff. Fran Itkoff volunteered for the Multiple Sclerosis Society Society for 60 years. Why? Just because she's a decent person. She knew people and she lost family members to multiple sclerosis. And so one of the the ways she dealt with that loss and that suffering in her life was to volunteer for the Multiple Sclerosis Society. She was not a paid... She was not paid. She volunteered for about 60 years. Well, in the course of her volunteering, a representative reached out to her recently. The representative in communications, written communications, asked Fran, who, by the way, is 90 years old. 
So the representative at the MS Society asked 90-year-old volunteer Fran to please use my pronouns. Use my pronouns, she said in an email. And Fran, the 90-year-old normal person, she didn't understand what the girl meant. (laughs) Because Fran didn't realize she signed up for a grammar exam in an email exchange. With a deranged, uh, anyway, so she said, use my pronouns, and Fran didn't understand, and Fran said, I didn't know what she meant. So, uh, I finally talked to her, Fran said, and I asked her, what did you mean by that? And the representative of the MS Society said that, use my pronouns, because that means that it's all-inclusive, And Fran, the 90-year-old normal person, said that didn't make sense to me because it sounds like because your pronouns are she, her, she said that sounds female, not male. That's not all-inclusive. What do you mean? So Fran was confused by the deranged rantings of this this MS representative. So the poor 90-year-old lady was just confused. To point out that he that she her is not all inclusive, but it implies femininity. Well, that turns out that was offensive. So a few days later, 90-year-old normal MS volunteer Fran received an email accusing her of violating the MS Society's diversity, equity, and inclusion guidelines. <laughs> That's right. And the email read: Unfortunately, Fran, we have made the difficult decision to have you step down from your volunteer position effective immediately. (laughs) So so they fired Fran, which is awful because Fran didn't even work there. So can you imagine getting fired from a, a volunteer? 60 years of volunteer, she gets confused by... Of someone who doesn't realize she, her is not all inclusive, and Fran ends up losing her. Uh... So, hopefully, Fran is a normal enough person that she doesn't sue over this. Just stop volunteering and just go do something else. And just it, please don't, please, Fran. Whatever you do, don't start a foundation. That's all. No, no GoFundMe page. No, just be normal. Just be offended and, and just walk away for crying out loud. So, I mean, that's a big enough statement right there, Fran, for you to just say, you know what? These people are deranged and I'm out of here. And I'm your host, Doug McBurney. That's Fran walking away. She's walking away from it, that's all. Is it easy? No. Do I have to make a big deal about it? No. I'm just going to walk away. All right. So we go from all that. And I just want to draw your attention to this minor fact that uh, this is from uh, New Zealand Times. Iran's uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps has fired two ballistic missiles from launchers disguised as shipping containers aboard a ship. Yeah, this is... um, uh, 
The war zone reports that this has not been seen to date and ex expands the reach, expands Iran's reach. Shipping containers can be embarked on any vessel that has the space to accommodate them. And uh, so there you have it. The, the shipping containers uh, disguise the missile launcher to look as if it's a, a, a shipping container, just in case you weren't clear on that. Uh, what's new here is that uh, no one's ever seen the firing of a ballistic missile from such a launcher disguised as a shipping container aboard a ship. And so that might be a bigger story than Fannie Willis, but maybe not. It's certainly not as it's certainly not as interesting. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to the prurient interests of people like you and I, and so we, so we're victims of our own, of our own appetites, I suppose. Uh, uh, and then I've got another one from the Gatestone Institute. Iran is on the verge, they say, of of obtaining nuclear weapons. Uh, they've been advancing in uranium enrichment, approaching levels of ninety percent, the ninety percent level needed to for uh, nuclear weapons capability. The Gatestone Institute says it remains to be seen if uh, the Biden administration will, will, will persist in crafting a legacy that supports the Iranian regime's completion of acquiring a nuclear weapon. I'm here to tell you that I, I'm convinced it does not remain to be seen. What remains to be seen is when and how Iran unveils the nuclear bomb they already have. Uh, I was reporting two years ago that they were above 80%. Iran has a nuclear bomb. It's just a matter of when and how we find out they have it. And that day is coming uh, probably before Fannie Willis's conviction of Donald Trump. In fact, let me make that bold prediction. The world finds out Iran has a nuclear bomb before Fannie Willis convicts uh, Donald Trump. Now, more from the war file. Last week, the Republican chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, a guy named Mike, he released a statement and where he went hysterical about a serious national security threat from Russia. Russia, the Russians, I'm telling you, the Russians. They're going to put guns in the sky, nuclear bombs in space, or something like that. It was either the Russians with nuclear weapons or it was aliens with nuclear weapons being obviously directed by the Kremlin. Anyway, there was all this hysteria about uh, a national intelligence, uh, something terrifying, uh, very concerning and sensitive. It's a big deal. Biden's security advisor, Jake Sullivan, commented, but he refused to offer any insight. He said it was too sensitive. But Meanwhile, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, was declared too senile to face any charges over the fact that he was Storing documents about Russia, China, Ukraine at his house, in his car, and with his son's girlfriends. And nobody knows, but to, to for, you know, unfortunately, Joe Biden is just too senile to put on trial over that. So all this happened while the Senate was trying to approve $100 billion or so to spend on Ukraine and some other things, but mostly Ukraine. 
Why? Because the, to, to continue funding the proxy war that we've been funding against Russia since 2014. I know we've only been doing it overtly for like two years. But since Barack Obama uh, funded the coup in Ukraine in 2014, there's been a proxy war between NATO and Russia for going on 10 years now. And now everyone's shocked to find that the Russians are engaging in an arms race. That's right. Russia wants to acquire weapons with which they can defeat NATO. Well, that's shocking, isn't it? That's terrible. Well, wait a second. NATO's been making war against Vladimir Putin for 10 years. So you don't think he's going to try to find weapons that could fight NATO? Anyway, this article in The Federalist, the headline is, of course, Russia's in an arms race. The West has pumped almost a quarter billion dollars into an armed conflict against Russia. So why would anyone be surprised that Vladimir Putin would be engaged in an arms race? It's, it's So is anyone shocked? But I, I don't know, maybe the average relatively illiterate moron thinks that Vladimir Putin is pursuing weapons just because he's a bad guy. He wants to conquer Europe. He wants to march through the Brandenburg Gate and threaten the Allies. Anyway. Okay, so that's that's all happening while uh, Fanny Willis is uh, testifying about her boyfriend and so, meanwhile, uh, we go to the formerly Great Britain from the Defender of the Realm file. A pastor was arrested in the former Great Britain, and uh, for, he was holding a sign that quoted Psalm 139, um, and he was holding it near an abortion clinic. Not at an abortion clinic, but near an abortion clinic. Psalm 139 talks about how God formed you in the womb, and he knew you before, and it's, it's very uh, poetic, majestic. It's a majestic psalm, by the way. So the, the, this pastor is holding the sign, and he's been found guilty of breaching a public spaces. I'm sorry, he breached a law called the Public Spaces Protection Order. Hmm? That's right. The PSPO is what it is, the Public Spaces Protection Order. PSPO, or as we call it, pisspole, for short. It's a pisspole law that they have over there in the United Kingdom. The legislation prohibits any act of disapproval of abortion within the buffer zone. That's right. Um, and uh, you'll remember last year we reported on Isabel von Spruce, who was fined for standing still and praying silently near an abortuary because that offended people who were on their way in to murder their children. They made them uncomfortable. Well, Pastor Stephen Green has been found guilty under Section 67 of the Anti-Social Behavior Crime and Policing Act 201, part of the PISPO structure there in the uh, uh, legal machinations of the United Kingdom, he was convicted for holding a sign that says, quote, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Unquote. Shocking. During sentencing, the judge, Catherine, 
said that the psalm was an act of protest against abortion. She said there were less controversial Bible verses you could have chosen, but you didn't. And this was an act of disapproval against abortion, and that violates the Pispo law. There. Oh, you do the... Anyone, yeah, they would have a millstone tied about their neck and be cast into the deepest part of the sea. That's the one you would carry. Yeah, for the judge. Well, you would be in violation of the piss po law there in the United Kingdom. No, I'll say that to the judge. Oh, I see. I see. You'd say that to the judge. Okay. Well, Pastor Green was given one year probation. One year's probation and threatened that if he violated the Pispo law again, that he'd end up in jail. And he was ordered to pay about $3,000 in fines. He said, quote, I'm not going to pay the fine. I would rather go to prison than pay this to the state that has banned the Bible. So there is Pastor Stephen Green's honorable um, response as a defender of the realm against the Pispo law in the United Kingdom that bans the Bible within a buffer zone where people are murdering children. They have a buffer zone to keep the people who would stop the murdering from going on, to to buffer people who are doing the killing, which tells you that uh, Paul Gosselin has a point about the postmodern philosophy becoming an actual religion put into practice... Um, in my opinion, by a criminally insane sex cult that's obsessed with murder-suicide. So, I mean, mostly murder right now, mostly murder for most of my adult life is what their obsession has been. But the murder-suicide part's coming. Don't you worry. I mean, it's already evolving and taking shape. But there's going to be an event. An event. It's like it's like everyone who was following Jim Jones, they knew he gave him the creeps in some way, and there was something just not quite right about all that, but they went for it anyway. And then there was an event. Okay, I'm just saying that. All right. From there, we go to the sad religion file, where we go to the pages of the Christian Post, which is sad. The Christian Post is... They should just drop the word Christian. Because here they have an article. The headline is 44% of trans-identified individuals report serious psychological distress. That's the headline. And the article goes like this. Nearly half of trans-identifying individuals reported experienced serious psychological distress within the last 30 days. 30% had experienced homelessness and more than one-third were experiencing poverty, reports the Christian Post. And of course, that's not surprising, right? Because deranged people generally do not do well. They just generally don't do well. And they need help. That's not, they don't need encouragement in their derangement. What they need is help. There's a reason they're suffering serious psychological distress. There's a reason that they've experienced homelessness and that they're experiencing poverty. It's because they're deranged and they need help. Oh, but that's not in the article here with the Christian Post. The Christian Post then goes on to vomit out data. For 84,000 people, there was a survey of 9,329, and as of, there were 16% this and 14% were that, and they, they just go on and vomit out all this data. And then they quote an American College of Pediatricians board member, Dr. Jane, somebody or other, 
who tells the Christian Post, quote, the most important thing is to recognize that these adolescents need and benefit from mental health support. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 Dr. Jane goes on. Adolescents who come into this medical care that's that's tranny operations and hormones. Uh, adolescents who come into this medical care have a previous history of depression or anxiety or autism or other medical or psychological concern. Those issues have to be dealt with first. It's just crucial they receive mental health services. Unquote, says uh, Dr. Jane, who's being quoted by the Christian Post. So the Christian Post never mentions God let alone Jesus Christ, or the fact that any of these people need salvation, or that any of this, including the, the psychobabble from Dr. Jane, goes against godliness in the Bible and Scripture and Christianity, which has preserved us and our families and our sanity and our children for 2,000 years. The Christian Post doesn't mention any of that. That's it. That's the end of the article you hear from Dr. Jane about mental health services. So is the Christian Post... So here's the thing. Nobody is censoring the Christian Post. It's not necessary. In the modern, postmodern religious environment, there doesn't need to be any overt censorship. The... The victims of postmodern uh, politico-religious culture, they self-censor. Because if the, if the news reporter, whoever wrote this article, if she mentioned God and the Bible and Jesus and heaven and hell and damnation, and she'd get fired. The Christian Post would fire her. So she self-censors. So the Christian Post self-censors. And the whole society ends up self-censoring until nobody can question the fact that we're being dragged into a murder-suicide. And that's, that's just scary. But that's where we are. All right, now, I'm almost out of time, and I, have, I haven't even gotten through any of my stuff here. <laughs> I haven't. In fact, I, I want to... Uh, I, I, listen, reason number 2051 to get or keep your children out of government schools. Out in Colorado, they're, they're working to pass a law... Have they passed it? No, it's a bill that would enshrine social transitions at school. Basically, the schools would be allowed to call your son Johnny Jane, and they'd be allowed to call her uh, him her, she her, I guess. They could call her she or her, depending on if they understood grammar. They might not know when to call her she or she her because they don't understand grammar, but they would know to confuse the pronouns for him. So they want to pass that as a law, okay? Um... Uh, Democrats, state representatives. Oh, this is it. Listen to this. This is an elected state representative in the state of Colorado who's one of the co-authors of this bill to further tranify the public schools. Here's what she said in a public statement. She said, I'm a survivor of childhood abuse and neglect and severe mental illness, including a suicide attempt, and I'm running for state office. That's how she announced I'm a mentally deranged, unstable person. I was neglected, mentally ill. I attempted suicide. Now I want to govern. And she won. <laughs> she won office. Uh huh. She says, my lived experience is a major motivator for why I do this. 
And she's a, she attempted suicide. Uh, anyway, uh, so she admits that what she is doing is driven by her severe mental illness. And, and listen, Sandy, is that her name? Stephanie, I feel sorry for you, okay? But no, thank you. I don't want you governing. I want you to get some pastoral counseling. I need you to hear the gospel so that maybe you can be rescued from your d d dementia. Oh, I don't know what you call it. I guess just godlessness, hedonism, heathenism. Anyway, yeah, a nervous breakdown. She had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> she attempted suicide. Uh, don't get me into nervous breakdown. I'll get in trouble. Do you know what I think a nervous breakdown is, by the way? A nervous breakdown is an adult person's version of a toddler's tantrum. It's when an adult person says, I'm no longer going to deal with reality as an adult. I'm just going to babble and blubber, and I'm going to dribble spittle all over myself, and you're going to have to carry me out of the room. So I, I've seen five-year-olds do the exact same thing. A nervous breakdown. Get out of here with that. Uh, uh, so do, do I have, what do I want to do now? Because, okay, here, let's, we're going to close here, but quick, uh, from the death after Roe file, according to the World Health Organization, there are 73 million abortions globally each year. 73 million. The World Health Organization documents the fact that about 30% of pregnancies end in killing the child. 30%. Comprehensive abortion care is included on the list of essential health care services published by the World Health Organization. Using medication or a surgical procedure, it's essential health care. The number of abortions performed in American states after Roe was overturned well, in the states with abortion bans, abortion went down. Uh-huh, 114,000 fewer abortions in, a, in states that banned it. And then in states that didn't ban it, abortions went up by 117,000. So that means there was a net gain of 3,000 children murdered after, after the so-called conservatives... Uh, allegedly overturned uh, the constitutional right for abortion. There, there was an, a net increase of 3,000 abortions. And by the way, this article here in the Sons of Liberty, well, there were no states that, that, that banned abortion. There were none. And now there were states that further codified or loosened or whatever. Anyway, bottom line, for those who want to argue the, the uh, purely... Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The purely utilitarian view that anything we do that could, could lower abortions by one, it would be worth it. Even if we have to sacrifice the God-given right to life in order to save this particular class of child, if, if we just save one, it would be worth it. So even those of you who have that argument, net increase of 3,000 dead children since you overturned Roe and had your Supreme Court declare that, that somehow the states have a right to declare who has a right to live, which is not true. It's not true. But the, the big takeaway from this article, about a third of the people on the planet are being killed by their own parents. That's... And 
about 60% of U.S. adults think that abortion should be legal. That means only about a third of parents, only about a third of people in America think there's a right to life anymore. Whose fault is that? Is that the is that the uh, the postmodern uh, religious cults? No, that's not their fault that only a third of the people think there's a right to life. It's the fault of the right to life movement who abandoned the right to life in favor of well fundraising and overturning Roe and all that. Meanwhile, okay, uh, now that's kind of depressing. Let's get to something that's not. Not quite as depressing. We go to the not-so-great replacement file where Indiana schools claim to be installing translation stations in their public schools. Yes, translation stations. It's a technology that looks similar to a copy machine, but you can place any test, any notes, any flyers, or any other type of document into the machine, and the machine will translate the English into the language of the student's choice. That's right. These machines are being installed in the schools in Indiana right now, translation stations. That's right. So, yeah, well, so uh, let's see here. The article from the Gateway Pundit says, School Corporation Culture and Belonging Coordinator Ruby says, We have students, and this is the first time they've ever been in American schools, and it's just a very diverse subject and this machine is a game changer she says and i'm thinking really is it a game changer has anyone actually tested these machines <laughs> you're telling me you have a machine that i can put anything into and it'll translate it huh okay has anyone tested it or had the, did the idiot children running the schools just believe the sales rep when he said oh yeah you just put anything in there it'll translate it it'll put it'll put rainbows on it translate it into any language you need all right that's it that's that's the show for this week, uh, This uh, the Weekly Worldview. Lord willing, we'll return next week. And until then, may the grace of God go with you. And may the peace of Jesus Christ be upon you.